black guard, six foot even. From Black Mountain, North Carolina, the sense-making general himself, Jordan Greenhall. First of all, let's thank you. I, I want to thank you for like being willing to talk to me because I just really asked you if we could have a conversation. I didn't initially ask if we could record it, although that oh. felt like the, the right thing after the fact. And I was struck by how it came about through Twitter. Twitter is not a complete cesspool of, of terrible things. So some Ooh. good can come of it still or X. Um, but that you sort of initiated it through a trade, through through commerce. And I've always liked the idea of understanding commerce as sharing a common mercy with people, mm. with, with someone else, that there's there's this give on both sides that, that matches. And even that, that scene from Dances with Wolves. This is this is a good trade. When uh, the one guy finds his um, his his hat, uh, like they, you know, they they're hunting the buffalo, and the guy finds his hat, and he's like, "Hey, you can't wear that hat. That's lieutenant's hat." And then they, you know, they make the trade for like the cool vest, and he's like, "Yeah, good trade." Good trade. So, a, a bag of coffee for a conversation with you was definitely a good trade. Nice. Yeah, I think and, um, I think there's something. How do you say? this notion of trade exchange and there's something about the, like I, I wouldn't have been interested in having a bag of coffee from just like somebody. Hmm. Uh, people can go buy a bag of coffee and that's not the deal. <laughs> that's not the gig. But you're, sure. when I, when I took a look at your bio, I saw that you're doing this in something in the space of vocation, like you're doing it in a, in a deeper register than the same merely commerce. Um, hmm. Certainly in, the, in, in like Trader Joe's style, like multiple degrees of separation commerce. And so it's like, okay, this feels like this is more like, like more closer to intimacy than arm's length. Hmm. You got that from Twitter? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, that's great. For a long time. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. You, you, you're, you're fluent in, in the language. Yeah, I'm trying to remember why this happened. For some reason, I can't remember why, we found ourselves with very, with mediocre coffee. Um, this is not a thing that we do. Like we will, we will make a pilgrimage to the good coffee shop with the good rose tree and buy that coffee and bring it back. But for some reason we ended up with not, we, we ran out of good coffee. And so we spent a good solid five days with mediocre coffee. Mm. Uh, and so then when your stuff landed, it was perfect because the palate had been completely had been cleansed. <laughs> actually okay, good. We were both of us, my wife and I were both like, mm -hmm, that's the good stuff. Beautiful. Well, and the uh, the honeymoon coffee that I sent you as well, I believe that blend also has Ethiopian in it. Nice. Did I send you a honeymoon coffee, or did I just yeah, think about it? Bourbon, bourbon barrel. Ah, the bourbon barrel blend. Yeah. See, we we we've been experimenting with so many different fun kinds of coffee, um, and but previous to strictly focusing on the coffee in different ways to make it taste. It was more along like the the meaning making side of of the brand, like the name uh -huh. Honeymoon, uh -huh. yeah, and the fact that it's this this project um, with my wife. Uh, she she's the source, and I'm the co-source. If you're familiar with that uh, parlance, P Peter Lindbergh turned me onto that, and I forget who he got it from. So I I sort of indirectly credit Peter with this, that. This but there's like... idea of us that the source it has to be sort of one person. And you can have multiple sort of sort of co-sources that help you to sort of birth something to to bring it forth as an entrepreneur. 
Um, but there's always just one source, but you could be a co-source. And in this situation, I'm definitely her co-source. So when he, um, he explained that to me, it resonated. Interesting. I, I've, I've used the language in relationship to the notion of seniors. With yes. The okay. Source artist and uh, charismatic, I think, or charm. I can't remember what yes. the third Yes, no, nope. charismatic. That's right. This yeah. is great. We used we used this. So you you gave like maybe like a sixteen minute talk on this. The notion here is something called seniors, and we used it in our book club. Uh-huh. So I'm a part of the uh, Emergent Commons online community, which is okay. sort of uh, part of the Rebel Wisdom diaspora. So as Rebel Wisdom sort of morphed and changed, uh, there were a couple of sort of breaking points, and they had an online sort of community that was asynchronous and, you know, sort of mostly text-based. And that was just too much for David and Ali to maintain. Mm -hmm. And this group volunteered to take it on and it eventually got named Emergent Commons. And uh, we have these sort of Zoomified uh, book clubs. And for one week, we studied that video. This sounds so weird to to say we we studied uh, a video that you put out on Cenius. So... I am familiar with that 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 language, but apparently <laughs> I, I chose the so- source and co-source language first. First, there you go. Okay, nice. <laughs> yeah. So the I think the previous tweet before you know I sort of made that thing like what I was curious about really was this idea of calling and how you perceive that, and even just the whole idea of of the church, mm. like the Greek for the church being you know the called out ones. And as I've been, you know, struck by your conversion, you know, story and and these different, you know, tellings of it that you've been uh, releasing, I say you've been releasing, but it's just been you being willing to have conversations with people and and they are releasing them. Um, It feels more like that you were called into something. So that's me projecting onto you. That's the, the, the project of the Zach Parsons projects. I'm projecting onto you that you felt called into something. So will you riff on like the called in, called out um, Mm. aspect of of what you've been going through for the last year? Yeah. Can can I take a second to just Yeah, of course. Listen listen (laughs) to the call. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's do this the right way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's see. Yeah. Why not? So the thing that comes up most is it's coming up more and more with more strength. Uh, and I think you, you actually said it just right. So first, I haven't asked anybody to talk about anything. Mm-hmm. Everybody's been somebody who's been curious. And I'd say about a third, maybe a half of the conversations aren't recorded. So if somebody's mm-hmm. interested, if I have time, and, and if it feels like they're actually earnestly interested, I say yes. Mm-hmm. It, it, particularly now, like in this particular context, this is definitely the kind of thing that I feel... Uh, Let's say I call it like I feel like hmm, yeah. There's something so going on. Let's just say the category should. I should be sharing this with as much earnestness and clarity as I can muster in this moment. Um, and the the shape. Hmm, well, this is this it's sort of broadcast versus relationship. That's the key idea that I'm trying to bring forward. The the shape of how it is shared has to be relationship first or to use the language of mm. my, my new sort of orthodox obsession, beauty first, instead of say mm. truth first. Okay. So something that is 
grounded in a relational space, in, in, in a space of intimacy, in a space of connection. Um, hmm. And so somebody, my, my expectation is, is that the, anybody who happens to watch this in some sense has a relationship with you more than zero, right? They know you in some way. They may not know you like yeah. you know, face to face in person, but there's a relationship there. <clears throat> and so therefore we are speaking with them and they are part of this conversation. And, um, and my sense is that that is actually the thing that's happening now. Like that's, that's the shape. And I mean, by shape, I mean, literally the, the network topology, um, okay. of what will build the proper kind of commons, proper kind of human communication fabric, let's say, obviously if this is how it works in person when it's best, uh, and when yeah. you do it in person, it's actually pretty funny to think about it. Like you can imagine a broadcast mode is, I don't know, like, like say me standing up in front of a bunch of people and talking, which say happens at church. So like pastors speaking to the congregation as a broadcast okay. methodology. And by the way, I would propose that that's all you do at church. That's not going to work. Mm-hmm. But then Agreed. the thing that is real in community is when people are interacting with each other, like they're living life together. They go into potlucks, they go into the park, they're caring for each other's sick children, like whatever it happens to be, like real life. And so that thing over here, which is complex, holistic, and intimate, is the thing, the thing that we are called to do, we are called to do. That is the thing that we are called into, is that kind of mm-hmm. a community. And the point of that community is that it's, it's rich. And so over here, what we have is something that is narrow. In fact, it's, it can only be very... It's like topical. You might sit in a classroom and have somebody speak to you about something that is of a particular topic. It's wider in the room. If somebody could just came and said, I will be speaking about whatever the fuck I want to talk about today, and you will mm-hmm. listen and be quiet, nobody's going to come to that room. Um, except maybe if they're very, very famous, they just want to bask in the glory of their, of their, you know, their brilliance, sure. whatever it happens to be. Uh, which I suppose that does definitely happen. So that's, that's an important, it's not even a caveat. It's, it's, it even proves the point even more deeply. And, now online, we, we tend to bias more in this direction. We tend to bias more in the direction of a podcast or YouTube video or something where you've got a, a high asymmetry of relationality. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where a given broadcaster has, I don't know, 300,000, 500,000, a million, who knows how many, hundreds of million. Um, and then they, they send it out. And there's no possibility of relationship. You couldn't even respond to the comments if you wanted to. What's the number? My experience on just Twitter was like when I got to 10,000 followers, I couldn't really respond to the comments in a meaningful fashion. Mm-hmm. Like I couldn't really keep up with it. Certainly not the second order comments. Mm-hmm. And I know that it, beyond that, it's probably like utterly out of control. You can't even be aware of the comments, much less respond to them. And so those are two very distinct apologies. And this one over here has that feeling, let's say, of calling. Mm-hmm. Um, And my sense of things is that is the calling of the moment. That is what we are called into. I already referenced uh, Rebel Wisdom. And you you were in a video with Jamie Wheel and Daniel Schmachtenberger. And that video is called Making Sense of Sensemaking. We're probably going to need to get together and be able to create a higher form of collective intelligence and sense-making. And what I've been seeing lately, paying attention to this space, is it's starting to bubble up, but it feels like a wildly unstable element. And it's breaking my heart, slash freaking me out, slash concerning me, that we, our efforts to create group coherence seem to be going so badly so far. 
Mm. Is that does that video ring a bell? It's it's less you being interviewed by somebody, and there's like a camera on a tripod in the corner, watching the three of you have this sort of conversation with Jamie, very much in the middle, and you kind of at least at the beginning being sort of the conductor of that uh, conversation. Do you remember this? I remember the conversation. Yeah, I remember the fact of it. I remember being at Daniel's house. That David was there recording. Jamie was there. And we decided to have a conversation. So I remember it. Um, what, what comes up for me is as you were sort of describing the two different ways that something can be sort of broadcast and be a sort of a sense of calling, something, something landed for people, myself included, in watching that. Like there were, there were moments to where you seemingly forgot about the camera in the room or it was you know, low enough in your awareness to where you all seemed to be genuinely exploring and connecting and kind of grappling with each other about what was happening that didn't feel performative. You know, it felt like you all were, were sort of dancing. We're going to make it goes in and out, right? I'm listening to myself fully and I'm listening to the, to the others fully and trying to use discernment to continuously allow that process to turn lead into gold. Now, there's a really important distinction that we're saying something that is different than the way that some people think about multi-perspectivism, which is we're not saying, I'm not saying, all perspectives are equally valid. And I'm also not saying that there is no way to integrate them into higher order understanding. I'm saying all perspectives have some signal. Mm -hmm. Generally have some noise. And that perspective is itself a reduction of information on the reality being perceived. The word that's yeah. also coming up for me is canonical. Like there's something... Hmm. All right, about that conversation that feels canonical. In fact, uh, there's a, like a, a, another YouTube channel that um, it's called Decoding the Gurus, and they chose that conversation to kind of dissect and unpack and say, this is what the sense-making world is all about. Let's, um, let's tear these guys apart. And uh, oh, I think nice. Jamie okay. actually ended up coming in afterwards and, and discussing his experience of all of that, but... Anyway, canonical. If if that brings up anything for you, especially, wow. you know, scripturally or something like that. Yeah, interestingly, the first thing that comes to me is a strongly anti-canonical sentiment. Hmm. Um, but let's see. Let's play with that. Let's play with that. So, um, so first, I definitely connect with the sense of uh, non-performative, or more specifically, actually with endeavoring to cultivate something in this, in this medium that connects at the level of presence, at the level of participation. Okay. Um, and so this is something I, I try to do as much as possible. Like the, the hope is to have you know, in this conversation, for example, I'm talking with you hmm. and as little as possible, I'm, mind, I'm, I'm having no awareness of the fact that some other person might watch this in the future. Yeah. Um, and, that works out okay. Like I'd say, a decent fraction of the time, the conversations I have have that sensibility to them. And um, maybe 75%. For, for me, that's the, I, I'm in a place where I feel like I'm interacting with somebody at a relational level and am not performing. Uh, which, by the way, part of the reason why they end up being 
pretty low fi <laughs> um, which is great like i don't i don't mind that at all uh, in fact obviously i don't mind not a minus mine it's my my preference to be honest um so let's see that's that now in the context of that particular conversation yeah um we were we were doing something that was pretty like we went into it like that's that's that was very it wasn't a simulation and it wasn't play acting that was a conversation and that's a kind of conversation that say for example daniel and i would have or Dan, jamie and i would have we haven't had too many conversations with the three of us were all together talking like in a very focused sense uh, but it, it, it you know a camera on a real event to put it you know specifically it wasn't sort mm-hmm. of pseudo facing there and we're kind of like on a, you know talking to the camera we were definitely talking to each other and if i recall the moment the experience of it was contemplating something in particular and really focusing on the thing that was 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 showing up in the in the center mm-hmm. of that conversation and i think you're right at least for me i don't have i think i if i try to remember it i don't even recall much more than the interior experience of trying to find into the, the thing that was being uh, the inquiry find into the inquiry so canonical um yeah hmm. I don't know. It, it, I mean, it has a biblical sort of re- resonance to it, and, and maybe that's why it's coming up. But yeah, well, biblical, take it where it goes. Interesting. Yeah. So let's see. The, the way I understand it is that we have three ways of, of uh, coding. Is that right? Or labeling of books. Maybe more than that. Maybe more than books, but at least books. Um, we have the canonical, the canon, the canon. We have the apocryphal. And we have the heretical. And so a way of shorthanding the canonical is this is material that can and should be shared with by from authority. So at the at the pulpit. And so if you're speaking at the pulpit with the with authority backing you, this is solid good stuff, which is to say it's been cold of all impurity. And so it's not going to give a bad signal, something like that. Apocryphal are circumstances where there's a mix, there's good and there's bad. And so it's, it's upon the reader has to take responsibility for sorting the, the, what, the baby in the bathwater and being able to say, mm. okay, this is, this is not good, this is noise, this is distraction, this is whatever, super salience, distortion, fill in the blank. And this is good, this is insightful. So the apocryphal is in that space. And then the heretical is something where, yeah, you really just should avoid this entirely. It's going to be... Um, the likelihood you'll come out of this in a coming closer to God is effectively nil. Let's put it that way. And that I, I'm not mm-hmm. sure if that's a like the totality of all possible ways of subdividing things, but it's it's certainly a, a, an interesting way of doing it. And I, as I understand it, that's the way it was done. Um, and so I would say then that that particular conversation was apocryphal. Um, I'm not mm-hmm. sure that that we are capable of anything that would be truly canonical. Perhaps uh, Jonathan Paggio's speech at ARC on okay. you're going to have to worship something, choose wisely, was in the, in, the, in the dimensionality of canonical, meaning that as I watched that and perceived it, I didn't notice anything that felt like it wasn't like part of the same kairos. Like it felt like it was a single expression and the expression had wholeness and continuity. And as far as I could tell, there was nothing impure in it. Um, I would say it's very unlikely, hmm. like my conversation with Ken Lowry, like mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago, 
That was closer yeah, yeah. to canonical. That was closer to canonical in my experience. And that had a feeling of just really presence was guiding what was happening. And, and we were kind of along for the ride. And, and, and I don't have a sense that too much was, I don't have a concern that there was something in there that if somebody received that, that they would receive the wrong thing. Hmm. Uh, but it seems unlikely that I would be able to produce anything canonical <laughs> because there's actually quite a bit of uh, uh, darkness, distortion, confusion, et cetera, in me. And my ability mm. to, to avoid having that be in what's happening is very low. Hence the projection. Not yours in particular, but anybody's. Hmm. Hmm. I'm, 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 uh, I'm wanting to settle into like an even like deeper spot in this conversation. And as you were describing your experience of that conversation, I remember moments where you were sort of seated with your eyes closed, almost a kind of like, I'm going to remove as many distractions as I can to really find the signal here. Like how to, how does the purest expression of, of, of you, whatever role you were called to play sort of show up? And I'm, I'm trying to kind of live into that right now myself. Yes. And I, I feel like I, I should like disclose some things to you to sort of um, see what you might want to double click on. How do you feel about that? Go for it. Okay. So my journey with sort of faith uh, kind of happened uh, inside of a church in my teenage years to where God became real to me um, in a way after I was using scripture as a weapon. So Ooh. I grew up in uh, the Phoenix area, a high Mormon population. Uh, I was not raised in the Mormon church and found myself on the outside of some of the social um, elements of my middle school. And when I realized we shared the same, you know, sacred texts, and if I could find a discrepancy that I could use that as some sort of weapon against them, I, I leaned heavily into that. Uh huh. Uh, and then one day while looking for, uh, you know, fresh ammunition, I came across Matthew seven, three, which is how can you judge the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye when you have a plank in your own eye mm. and everything changed on that. That was an inflection mm. point. And, and all of a sudden having a true real relationship with God and the truth, mm. maybe not with beauty yet. I'm, I'm really kind of struck by a, a lot of what you've said recently about beauty and and maybe that's something that's that's calling me now but uh the truth part of that is is sort of living in the truth uh that led to me becoming a pastor i went to bible college got the degree i have a degree in the bible that's a thing uh but also in that getting a degree in the bible I, as i learned how the canon was formed it changed my sort of teenage black and white right versus wrong understanding of the Bible into something that a lot more shades of gray and nuance. And that was maybe the first crack in, uh, what was for several years, a very solid religious faith. Mm -hmm. And then at, uh, at some point in my, in my twenties that continued to liberalize even further. Um, I, my experience as a pastor had a couple of, um, church splits early on, there was a church split. And the first church split was based on the leadership praying to God for guidance and the eldership 
the associate pastor and myself as the youth pastor feeling God calling us one way and the senior pastor feeling called another way. And when the announcement of this separate calling uh, was announced to the congregation, all hell broke loose. Mm -hmm. And I remember um, feeling concerned for the, the, the youth, the young people that were in my charge. And I went downstairs and I was like, hey, something just happened. Um, your parents are going to talk to you about it. It's going to be okay, but just be aware of this. Don't be your sort of wild, crazy selves like you usually are, like something just happened. And I remember this five-year-old girl was walking out to the parking lot with her dad. And she usually would give me kind of a high five on the way out. And as she was about to do that, he grabbed her wrist and said, wait, we don't know whose side he's on. Ooh. And pulled her out the door and I never saw her again for the rest of my life. Oh my goodness. So that just gives you a, a sense of the, the, a, an experience that I had as a minister, but it didn't really change my relationship with God much yet. Uh, I got another job as, as a minister, something similar happened where the church split, people just disagreed on things. And I said, well, I, I don't think that form of church is for me anymore. And so felt kind of led into the house church world, um, which there was a lot of, you know, life there. But at the end of, at the end of the day, uh, what really broke things open for me was uh, an emotional affair. So I was married, had three kids and um, ended up having what turned into a full blown affair with a woman and uh, thought that God might be leading me in this direction the whole time. Mm. So I was continuing to pray. But I also had this exciting new relationship. And uh, at the end of the day, ended up that relationship ran its course, ended up reconciling with my wife for a little bit, but also needed to kind of reconcile with God and couldn't quite make that reconciliation work with how my prayers were or weren't answered mm -hmm. and wondered if may maybe maybe nobody was on the other end of those prayers. Mm -hmm. And I said, maybe, maybe there is no God. Maybe I should try out atheism. And I, I remember this moment. I, I almost, I, I figuratively like put on like a cloak of atheism, like over my head, just to see how it fit. And I couldn't take it off. And it fit in ways that I didn't expect it to. And it, it solved challenges that I didn't know that I had, um, eventually leading to other things. Uh, over the years to where it created its own sort of new problems. And that was maybe about 12 years ago. And uh, the thing that had brought me back into what is now, you know, a conversation with you was Jordan Peterson, which maybe you've heard from a lot of people, which led me to Rebel Wisdom, which, you know, led me to conversations with you and John Verveke and Jamie Wheel and Zach Stein and all those guys. And um, as Rebel Wisdom ended, um, Getting connected with the STOA was was also a very uh, helpful online community, but it's still an online community. Mm -hmm. And so in the meantime, whatever sort of pastoral itch or pastoral energy that I had had has gone into this business that my wife and I have, the, the coffee shop. Mm. Uh, but, but, but that's not the same as a church. So now here I am um, two weeks ago sort of gobsmacked to hear the story of, of Jordan Hall, uh, who Peter calls the sense-making general. general. Salute. 
who was a part of this canonical conversation or apocryphal conversation <laughs> with uh, with Jamie and Daniel, and he's now come to Christ. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, it's 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 turned my world upside down. In fact, this his conversation with Jim Rutt was the first time that my wife gave a shit about any of the stuff that I try and share with her. I know we haven't we've seen joked that with, one. And I went to church on Sunday. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Where do you live now? Uh, Evansville, Indiana. Oh, right. Of course. How weird. My, my mind oftentimes doesn't stitch things together. It, it holds things in different registers. So there's a coffee bag that says Evansville, Indiana, and it, the coffee bag is from you. But the fact that you and Evansville are in the same place <laughs> is not just now that's stitched together. There you go. Uh, yeah. Hmm. How was it? How, how was church? Yeah. It was awesome. I mean, it was it was nothing like the church experiences that I trained for. How's that? Yeah. It was uh, a one one man on. He wasn't even on the stage. He was sitting on the top step of the stage with his five year old daughter, sharing about mm-hmm. uh, prayer. That was the focus of the week, and then mm. gave the congregation some time to pray on their own. And then there was an hour of lunch and fellowship. So 90 minutes total, but an hour of it was the name of the church is called open table. Mm. And that is the main thrust of it is we sit at a table together and we share about our lives and the things that have sort of come up. And uh, it turns out that I knew more than half of the people there already in different contexts. And now we were in this church context and it, it had a, Mm. it did have a little bit more powerful layer on top of it or underneath it. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so much, so thank you. That's a heck of a story. Um, So one of the, one of the things that I, I have kind of halfway in the center of me is this let's call it, yeah, the problem of church. And let's say specifically in the context of Christianity, the problem of uh, churches, <laughs> the, the multiple one and holy apostolic churches. Sure, sure. Um, <clears throat> or the inverse, right? The Protestants saying, that is, that's not a thing. We're going to do it a different way. Mm-hmm. And then <clears throat> you know, the Orthodox and the Catholics go, and, you know, go for it. That's not what they have to set it, but in any event, go for it because you're just going uh, you know, to schism to, to, to vapor, right? They'll just be like, Know, with eight billion churches, eight billion churches, right? And, and even subdividing interior, right? On a Tuesday, you'll break, <laughs> you'll, you'll break with yourself on on Wednesday, sure. Um, which is not too far from reality. Okay, so the critiques in both directions are are right, which is oftentimes the case. But this is a a thing that I've noticed. Like if you sit, I'm just shift a little bit just to kind of if you sit in the secular world on like with Team Blue politics and hear their critiques of Team Red usually pretty correct but you switch and you sit on team red and hear their critiques of team blue guess what they're correct too um that's not the problem it's not accuracy of critique in some cases there's always sort of a magnification and projection of a bad guidance as it becomes conflict you start to create caricatures but the the fundamental critique like the thing that's really grasping the, the core is usually pretty accurate and so there, there's something going on where Hold on, hold on, give me a second. Yeah, I'm mm. taking with this notion of open table. Mm. 
And I'm taken with the fact that, that we're so poor at community that we literally have to just like have a category of church where we're, where the thing that we're, the space we're carving out, we're carving out to, to do just something like community with each other in, in a, in a divine context. Like we create a sacramental context. And we're saying, okay, mm. we're going to be together in this space as opposed to saying, yeah, actually we're together in a sacramental space all the time, but we're going to be in communion in this space. Right? So that kind of mm. that, gotcha. yeah, concentric yeah. circles. And, and what is it, you know, where, where are we? And, and we in the West, in America, um, England for sure as well, um, probably everywhere, are so, you know, our concentric circle is so evaporative down here. Like we barely are, are able to be in community with ourselves, much less our neighbors. You know, and, and even just in community, even to know our neighbors' names, right, is already mm-hmm. not that common. Okay, so now I get to know, now do we have something like intimacy of relationship? We're actually in kind of like a community relationship. And then, oh, wait, but it's actually a deeper thing of being in a, in a, in a, in a communion relationship. Oh, wow. That's so like, far away. So there's a, in uh, the way that I've been thinking about this, and by the way, caveat, you know, apologies to people who actually understand what they're talking about, but you know, I'm doing my best. And so I'll be, I'm probably getting these words and concepts wrong. Um, but I've been really thinking about this notion of liturgy in the, in the mm-hmm. sense of a work together that ravels us together from a multiplicity into unity, which is to say into communion. Um, and just to kind of explore on that a little bit, I'm seeing like two versions of that. One version would be, let's say proper communion. So it ravels us together into communion and that communion is ultimately a communion that brings us into communion with Christ. Hmm. Uh, and there's a very large number of subsidiary versions of that. Let's say like going to the Super Bowl where we are in fact doing something, we're working together, liturgy, and it is bringing us into a communion, a multiplicity forming into a wholeness, but it's for the Kansas City Chiefs. Right? So it's, hmm. that's not bringing us closer to Christ. Um, in fact, it may bring us further away. Right? So it actually may be a, uh, a false liturgy that brings us further away from true liturgy. And then of course there's anti-liturgy, which is, is the dominant tone of our culture, which is actually unravels us and brings us further apart from even communion in general, much less proper. And so <clears throat> struggling with the reality of being immersed fully and from birth in a tenor of anti-liturgy and in a tenor where any form of liturgy is a false liturgy, where very, very, very few liturgies are in fact proper, true liturgies that really have that purity, that notion of canonical that can bring us mm. up and, and bring us up in a way where the, the likelihood of us being pulled further away, which is to say deeper into sin, is low. Um, like that's just the world that we're in. That's that's where we are. Um, and I think that if we if we hold that and say yes, even churches like certainly, you know, somebody like me raised entirely on the kind of, kind of the milk of the secular world was um, you know, I have my my arc of challenge to struggle through to get to something. But yes, even the churches are struggling with the the tenor of anti liturgy just present everywhere. In the culture, yeah, so yeah, yeah. we don't live in a field of proper liturgy where the church is acting as kind of like a, a tuning fork or a you know laser system in the in the center, bringing it, making sure it holds together. We're in a field of anti-liturgy where the churches are at best struggling with it, like and, and struggling poorly. Um, and in, in America, mm-hmm. you know, the, in the Protestant world, so much of of the church has become who was this Schmemann? I actually, I think it was I was reading about where he's talking about the. 
he basically makes three distinctions. He talks about uh, the secular, the religious, and then Christianity. And you know, his point is essentially that the religious is you know, secular. Secular came as a version of religion, and and then the religious, the old religions, ended up either aping secularism. And so, if you're participating in either secularism or religion, you're participating in something that is fundamentally anti-liturgical at its center. Um, and there's Christianity over here, which is not, like neither. And that very, very, very few people are actually participating in it in, a, in say, a deep, fundamental way. Um, that's not me. That's him. And that's not necessarily him. That's my reading of him. So, sure. it, to, again, probably quite poor. Um, but I hear, you know, in my church, has also got many, many people. In fact, one of the origin stories of my church is a church blowing up and, and mm. having a very nasty breakup like that which is double rough because it was a planted church. So people had actually uprooted from where they lived, moved on sure. mass, built something. And then, and then it blew up a few years later. I'm sure that's very unpleasant. Should have been like, it's heartbreaking actually. Um, and I felt it as I've interacted with the people who were on the other side of that, noticing a little hesitancy in the relationship. Um, but the warmth in the church is so strong now that I'm noticing that you know, I'm not feeling that. People are, are, are growing into, into safety or trust. Hmm. I, I imagine that the, the warmth that you receive is, is due in part to the sort of warmth and, and grace that you're offering people, at least just, just based on my experience of you and, and how you have held yourself to me so far. Hmm. Um, there was a, there was a word that was, that was coming up for me as you were telling this story about your church. Um, how familiar are you with the Enneagram? More than I'd like to be. <laughs> okay. Uh, is, is that is that triggering in a certain way? Is, is there no, a whole side of you in Enneagram side? It's, it's nearly impossible to trigger me. It's okay. No, go for it. <laughs> okay. So um, I remember I um, actually went to one of the, the Rebel Wisdom men's retreats that they had. I felt a very clear calling to participate in that a couple of years ago and, and went to England. I was, um, I oh. was Ted Lasso. I was the, the lone Yank in this, this British group of men. Um, and I remember talking to David about the Enneagram and he actually used you as an example of like, he might've even used the word canonical. I, I might be remembering this wrong <laughs> since we've been talking about it. He is like, he is the quintessential Enneagram four. Mm -hmm. Is that, is, is, is that correct? Is that, do you, it do has you been the case. resonate with that? It, it, it certainly was the case. Okay. I don't know if it's still so that's case. interesting because the word that was coming up for me was reformer, which, which I believe is like a, a shorthand for a different Enneagram number. I think four is commonly called the individualist. Mm -hmm. I know that because that's the one that resonated with me as well. And I want to say, I can't remember which number it is. Someone's probably shouting in the background. It's blah. But but right. does that, like, just the fact that you're coming to this kind of in your in your prime, so to speak. You know, you're you're still sort of intellectually, mm. um, well, very very sharp. What would you say? Um, I was gonna say no, but then I was like, hmm. Where I. I Here's where I, where I find myself now, and it's, I'll give you the example of the, the, the cafe that I'm volunteering at. So I just heard a, you giving an example about it in, in a conversation you did before you shaved, shaved your beard. 
but I oh. want you to share it again because it, it hit home if it's this if it's the same one because it involved coffee and vocation. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, right, exactly, precisely. Um, I was invited, told that there was an opportunity to volunteer here. It's a, it's part of a children's home, and they knew that I you know like coffee, and so they said, "Hey, can you volunteer at the cafe?" It's not really a coffee shop; it's a cafe. Um, I said, sure. And so I go in and what I feel myself called to is where can I discern places where it is both, let's say, possible in principle, it's available in the, in the, in the space. No, that's not the right way of putting it. <laughs> it. It could be done to bring, let's say in this case, the quality of the espresso up. Quality, the espresso quality is not high and it could be higher. I know for a fact it could be higher. And it's actually within the, 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 the sort of the field of choice of, the, of this particular location. It could be done in a fashion which doesn't feel artificial, meaning it's not like me coming in and commandeering this and saying this must be mm. like nine out of 10 or even eight out of 10. Or if I were to disappear, it would fall back down. But rather, no, it's just a little bit of there's a there's a yearning there's a feeling of, of acceptance or desire for that and with a little bit of, of of relationship a little bit of time spent it can go from say three to six and stay at six like it actually has grown to six so maybe this is like teaching like pedagogy something like that mm. um and here in, in zackstein's sense like where there's teacherly authority like there's a sensing of yeah, where yeah, is there yeah. teacherly authority whereas there are really a, an affordance of a possibility of teaching um, and, and teacherly authority and then entering into it cultivation of an increase of capacity where the possibility is both available and uh, proper. Um, that, for sure. Like, I feel that a lot. And um, this, you know, the humility element, right, so the, the, the theme of the Thorsten yeah. conversation is the one that removes that notion of reformer, right? because I, I don't know what's right, because things are complex. Like, who knows what's really going on? Like, there's so many different things that are going on. It's very difficult effectively impossible truly know intimately what's going on in even a single other person's life much less a complex group of people so you can't really ever step into anything even your own life probably and reform it in any meaningful way but you can engage with it and you can and you can give what is is sought with as, as much purity as you can muster and as little attachment as you can muster and you know that notion of like graciously you can give graciously of what it is you have to give and what is sought and then, and then be very happy that what is taken is taken. Uh, in other words, have no resentment that, that more or less, right? Um, so what would that be? I'm not sure what you would call that. Like, Well, what's, what's now coming up for me is, is that a, a spiritual gift? Mm, mm, that's very like nice. What, what you're talking about seemed kind of like, a, um, like the, these are your treasures the, to, to give um cultivated in a world you know a, a, away from god if you will or, or, or maybe that's that's saying too much that's saying too much it's a secular but world a, a secular world where god uh, may exist in in some different different way um do you do you does that resonate for you the idea of like this is a, a spiritual gift or, or just just riff oh, yeah. on that a little bit if okay. it, if it, yeah like, yeah there's like two things that come up. One is um, I have often had the experience of like, why the heck was I thrown into this life? And so it's a, it's been a challenging 
life. Like my life has actually had a lot of um, suffering to it. It's mm -hmm. the very nature of it. Um, yeah, I described it to Jamie Wheel one time, actually. It's like just like literally just being like sitting in a room has the feeling of like wearing a scratchy wool sweater. Um, hmm. Like the, the, my physical sensitivity, my the sensory sensitivity is turned up to a very high level. And so everything except for certain like, like certain oceans and certain like natural environments tend to actually have a, a, a negative feel to them. Um, okay, so why? What's that all about? Well, okay, well now I'm landing in a place where you say, oh, this is this is in fact spiritual gift. Like the the suffering has a purpose to it. The suffering was to cultivate a certain wisdom and a certain competence and a certain what's the right term? Like a post tragic sensibility that mm -hmm. can connect with particular people in particular ways. And you know, an example that I was just thinking of was I was at a playground with my daughter. And there were two other kids there. Um, and one of the kids, I had very little that I could actually share with that person besides just being, you know, available. But the other kid was a extremely precocious eight-year-old. And we began having a conversation about astrophysics, which was he was like super <laughs> stoked about. And his parents said, please keep talking to him. because He's, he's way above <laughs> our level. Like, we can't actually, we don't know what to do. We finally um, found a, a play date for our child. Yeah. And I said, look, <laughs> I, I don't want to sound weird because like we've literally never met each other, but I'd be happy to chat with him at any time. Like I, mm. I deeply empathize with where he is. And, mm. and it's, it may sound odd, but it, it, for me to be able to actually have this conversation with the child, to be heard by a child, because I've got my own children, guess what? Mm. They don't really care about most of the things that I talk about or do. They got their own yeah. things yeah. that they care about. And so the idea of saying, hey, a child who actually is quite interested in the things that I have wrestled from life to share um is beautiful and so it's you know it's back to that notion of uh that deeper form of commerce like it's an actual perfectly beautiful trade mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. the common way, mercy has nothing to do with me i think this is just how life works that we're all instruments of of god and that our path through life shapes us into the kind of instrument that we need to be to be able to convey through particular relationships and that goes back to that notion of topology. You know? and I can't just randomly grab a person and drop them into a particular conversation. It doesn't matter if they know the stuff. Like, think about how education is this weird thing where you just kind of load generic content. And in principle, sure. the idea is you can just like take one person and drop them in. This is obviously designed for factories where that's the, that's the intent. Mm -hmm. um, but that's not vaguely how it really works. Like the, you and I can have a particular kind of conversation. And somebody who maybe knows a lot of the same stuff I do, but has had a different arc of life it's a different conversation and it should mm -hmm. be right it should be just precisely what is available in this moment is what we should be focusing on um hmm. yeah okay so that's the end of that riff as far as i can tell there is uh the word elder elderhood like it has a um it, at least initially to me had kind of a biblical basis for it. it was something that in the church structure that i was raised in these these were the lay leaders and um and then of, of course i was born in 1980 so i'm i'm uh or i at least self-identify as one of these elder millennials or geriatric millennials if if you want to be a, a little more you know of an a-hole about it um <laughs> 
but I'm like, as you were talking about how you related to this, you know, very young person and how you're even, you know, relating to me and, you know, your, your hard fought experiences of life and the, and the suffering that you've, you've had and the, oh man, the, the vow, what's the, there's, there's just a word on the tip of my tongue, turning lead into gold. What's mm. that called? Alchemy. The alchemy that God seems to have done with you. Mm -hmm. Do you feel a level of uh, a new giftedness? I, I'm projecting, but I'm imagining that there was some part of you that was already like that pre baptism conversion this this journey that you're on but what what is what is the is there a new valence around that that we might be able to call a spiritual gift mm -hmm. yeah um, or maybe i need to ask your wife <laughs> or actually you could just ask our church because the, they've been talking about it during church sometimes mm. like we're called out you know, they, they mm. have seen in a year uh, an arc of growth and a shift it is evident to them um, mm -hmm. and, and it is evidence of the Lord working in and through us. So the answer is, I would say very much a yes. I don't think they're lying. Well, <laughs> um, yeah. God, it's so interesting. So if I reflect back to the to my earliest ability to remember, in a very profound sense, it was always there. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe even more so when I was a young child, like five, four or five. Um, and then something happens where it's like something closes, like a sealing off. I mean, maybe from hermetics, mm -hmm. if you want to play with that. And that lasts a long time. And in that, in that long time, there's also a, uh, like a double loop problem because you simultaneously are not growing with and, and cultivating and playing with when it's closed off. It's there, but it's, you're having an increasingly immature relationship with it. Let's just make five, mm -hmm. maybe six. Let's make six kind of the closing off moment. So okay. now I'm 23. I still have like a six-year-old capacity to relate with this that is also closed off. And I've got a 23-year-old capacity of the stuff that's inside the enclosure. Um, but it was always there, I would say. My experience of it was like, yeah. Mm -hmm. But that notion of alchemical, it's, yeah, it's wild. Um, it... it it's maybe close to a you know, tuning an instrument is maybe a way of feeling it. Actually, that's probably a good way of describing it. If you think about a guitar, you could say that, yeah, like the, the, the attuned guitar was always there. Like, obviously, you could just mm. twist the knobs and the guitar is going to make the sound. Like, it's in the field of the possibility of the guitar. But after some period of time, it's, it's out of tune. Mm. You know, the, the strings have lost their tautness in a particular way. So it's increasingly janky and there's a retuning it. And, then whoop, and something shifts. Um, for me, it's been things like, uh, like a much more, how would you say? It's funny. I don't even know quite what the word, but the feeling is like cello, cello okay. heart, cello heart, whatever that, like, uh, <laughs> um, rich mahogany, I'm I'm, <laughs> burgundy wine. I'm smiling because like my, um, my, my children all, all play the cello. So it's. That was one of those um, gifts that I didn't have, and and they did, and so it's mm -hmm. there's a 
uh, there's a special place for the cello in my heart. Apparently, you just you just touched my heart in a way I wasn't expecting you to with the cello. Yeah. Well, there you go. That's 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 it. So when you said that, my ability to feel that the touch landed in the, the sense of like gratitude. The touch, the hearts can be touched. Mm. The hearts can touch each other. Mm. Like gratitude is the feeling. Like more and more, the depth of gratitude that I feel every day is just growing, and not mm. gratitude. It's hard to explain what I mean. I don't mean like happiness or gladness. Yeah, yeah. Like something yeah, deep. Yeah. So, so it's funny because I, I noticed uh, something in my mind when you mentioned the church elders, and uh-huh. then you mentioned yourself, another person, and then like the main parson or whatever you guys called them. And I was in my mind thinking, like, <laughs> well, how old were you? How old were you when you were an elder? Oh no, that's the thing. I I haven't been an elder. I was a pastor. Wait, or uh, wait, did you just call it a parson? Yeah, I don't know any of these like words. That's I have great. No idea. Okay, because I, so I'm remembering now. Okay, it's just combatorially explosive things happen in my head right now. So my last name, Parsons, means uh. servant of the church. <laughs> that's, 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 what, that's what Parsons means. And I okay. called my dad last night and I said, Dad, can you remember back in our family tree on your side, do we actually have a lineage of pastors or reverends or ministers and he thought for a second and said no i think you were the first Mm. and my brother is actually in the church planting world he lives out in san francisco and he plants churches all over the world like to this day so he's he's carrying on the the calling of the parsons for sure Mm -hmm. my first name is zachary Mm. which is Hebrew origin, which means God has remembered. So sitting here with you, remembering and hearing you describe your gift as a, as a boy, as a, as a child and it stopping and remembering a little bit of our conversation from Twitter about what your name means. Did you, did you click in on that part of what, what your name means? Or has, has that been something that you had um, reflected on at all in the past? Oh, what you like is Schmachtenberger and I actually did that work. He looked at Daniel and I looked at Jordan and then we talked about it. It's, 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 it's a river sort of reference, right? Oh, a it's flowing. A, a flowing and a flowing down, by the way, from higher to lower. Really? Yeah. Well, I guess that's probably how you would expect something to flow. <laughs> <laughs> you would, wouldn't you? But the, because because it refers to River Qua River, it, it it would be used to mean that. Like, it would never be used to mean like flowing towards or anything like that. It would mean flowing flowing down. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Some other word actually was. I remember I looked it up. There was something that talked about rice flowing up, like going up, which would be like a heat or something or a bird flying up. I can't remember hmm. what it was though. Um, well, that's what that's what came up for me as you were describing the the gift that you had, which then you talked about the seal, the stopping, like you know, the damming, you know, of that of that flow. Yeah. And now it being you know released again, or in, or in this new way, and the idea of like Jesus being baptized in the Jordan. Mm-hmm. Oh, mercy! Me. Like, <laughs> like. That's just, it's so, it's so, I don't know, it's, hmm. 
there's just there's just something there, you know, between Jordan Hall and Jamie's, uh, you know, flow. Something something is moving, it would seem. And if it's if it's moving down, then it's coming from a high place. And um, maybe maybe we can close with this. Um, when I, when you had that conversation that I deemed as canonical, towards the end, uh, Jamie started talking about Aretha Franklin. And just watching a, a preview of a documentary that she was uh, featured in to where she was singing in a church. And Jamie said he, he wept. Yeah. Have you guys seen the, the trailer for the new Aretha Franklin, Amazing Grace? Mm. So it's like this. She did this ripping album called Amazing Grace in a Watts gospel church in like 1974. And then all the footage was lost. And it's just come out like I, I literally wept seeing this this fucking trailer was unreal and she starts singing the song amazing grace and she just takes that a and she just does it she goes all over she's like 29 years old at the time and but the but the gospel choir who's backing her up are like giving it up like they're feeling the shimmy shakes they're feeling the juice they're giving it up for it and then they start praising and testifying and like the whole thing just goes through the roof and you're like oh my god and then there's the swaying the clapping the dancing the movement and you're like it is weeping for the humanity of our wounding. He wept seeing and experiencing this moment of beauty. And I said, that's the guy that I want to talk to church about. Mm. And so I, I actually went on one of his, you know, week long off the grid wilderness retreats. Mm -hmm. And we didn't actually get a chance to have it. And so, like I said, a couple weeks ago, when I found out about your experience, in church, um, I have come to realize that I was focusing on the wrong person in that conversation, at least initially. And maybe Jamie and I'll get to talk about church at some point. It was not right timing when you're in the caves or in the canyons, wherever you were, out in the wilderness, off the grid. Um, but I think we're all being called home, and we're calling each other home, and we're helping each other find our way home. And so, uh, no, no man left behind. <laughs> That's, that's, that's one of his things, walking each other home. I just want to thank you for the grace that you've, uh, that you've offered to, to have a conversation with a stranger uh, in, in exchange for coffee, which, which evidently you know, met the mark uh, taste-wise for you, which, which mm -hmm. does warm my heart as well. And you know, encourage you for, for whatever you wondered about what would happen about being public and open about this experience. You know, with me as a, an N of one, at least, I, I can say that it was a profound thing to experience from afar and now begin to experience, you know, with you, however we're together, you know, through, through the internet right now. Mm, that is extremely encouraging. Yeah, thank you.